Some say that alongside this see-it-to-believe-it world is the shadowy realm of the supernatural. Sometimes the residents of that dimension touch us, and in one moment, our lives are changed forever. America's Lady of Supernatural Thrillers, Mary Ann Pohl, is your real ghost chatter host. On this podcast, you'll hear stories by real people who have seen real ghosts. Gordon tells us about an unwelcome encounter with his dead father-in-law, and Lori tells us about a dead logger who looked for his wife and daughter for years after his death until she helped him find peace. Then there's Victoria, who shares her story of a long-dead pig, Edna June, who still watches over her ranch. Did you know a cafe in Anchorage, Alaska is haunted by the ghost of a woman who was blown to bits by a hired hitman? Once in a while, Mary Ann will podcast a tale taken from the genre she loves best, the supernatural. These are just a few of the stories you will hear, and these stories just keep coming. Welcome to today's Real Ghost Chatter episode. I'm Marianne Paul, America's Lady of Supernatural Thrillers, a charter member of Author Masterminds, and your host on Real Ghost Chatter. If you're enjoying Raven's Cove and would like a signed copy, you can purchase it or any of the other books in the Iconoclast series at www.maryannpoll.com. Here's the next few chapters of Raven's Cove. If you're at home, grab your favorite drink, Settle into your favorite listening spot. If you're on the road, stay safe. In either event, enjoy. Chapter 20, Heralds of Destruction. Iconoclast stood with his back against the oozing pea-green wall on the north side of the ravine. His most trusted fighters surrounded him in a semicircle. The growing number of demons encircled them, spanning the ravine to the slimed walls on the south side. Iconoclast grinned. Just like all good vultures, you smelled blood and came from around this puny world to feast on those who took it upon themselves to live here. This is very good. He looked at his captains, Gambosian, Caitiff, Venenos, Gruet, Trippiner, and Prevaricator. Atromentos and Profligacy were absent by his orders guarding Plotno and his assembly, a higher priority. These eight were with him in defeat in Josiah Williams' horrid small town and in near victory over the village in China. One man of God stood between us and complete conquest at the battle in China. Not this time. Tomorrow we will feast, he rumbled, the strength of souls taken carrying the growl high and far. The twins increased his power threefold. They were considered as one, coming from the same egg, so he could take two at one time and be ahead of schedule. It did not break the rules set so long ago by Satan. Satan loved to test those under his command and demanded they follow the rules. And how I enjoy out-tricking the great trickster, he thought. To ensure the desolation and so these humans will be given into our hands, I am required to have one join us by this mortal's own free will, one who I must wrestle from the Holy One's hands. Without this fifth victim, we lose. The twins, now what some would term ghosts, along with John Doe, a.k.a. Theodore Dank, and Mickey, 
were among those who joined Iconoclast. Ah, the obedient slaves all mortals were intended to be, Iconoclast said. You dead souls will be useful in stirring up the terror and confusion needed to divide and overcome the inhabitants of Raven's Cove. Go out, visit many. You are the heralds of the destruction to come. If you find the one I speak of, bring the human to me. The gals did as commanded. They no longer possessed free will. Their days of choice ended when they allowed their souls to be tempted and tricked into service to Iconoclast. Their main desire now, if you could call it a desire, was to have as many souls as possible join them in their misery. They screamed and screeched, repeating the sounds made the instant they met their fates. The moment of death never left their tortured minds. The bloodied, oozing-eyed minions of Iconoclast flew upward in a purple haze, taking the deepening red mist with them off to the town to wreak terror. Atromantos settled over the door of the Congregational Alliance. Hearing the screech of the ghouls, his head-shaped fog snapped around until his chin rested on what would be a spine. Iconoclast took his fourth victim. Soon I will not cover this door, I will be released. Then I will take the entire church and its loyal patrons. In anticipation of the feast to come, red saliva dripped off the one concrete thing in this monster, his knife teeth. The dark chasm of a mouth opened and screeched, Go, my beauties, fly to your destinations. Wreak havoc, set fear in the hearts of these mortals. So much fear they are stricken and paralyzed. So much easier to take, so much easier to enjoy at leisure, with horror as the tenderizer. Chapter 21, Unwelcome Visitors. Cassandra Martin stayed late at her beauty shop. The right Reverend Plotno must be serviced when he wants or my shop will be boycotted, jerk. Thank goodness you were finally satisfied, Reverend, she whispered to herself, watching him stride up the street. As she closed the door, she felt, rather than heard, a presence behind her. She stiffened, hands still holding the key in the shop's lock. Turn, Cassie, turn. She knew this voice. Miggy? The sheriff said you were dead. She whirled around to see her friend thought dead and now alive. Cassie spun into a sight her mind could not accept. The face was blood red, the eyes were black, seeping purple. She caught her breath, but too late. The stench caught in her throat, and she began to throw up and couldn't stop. Miggy howled in laughter. Cassandra dropped to her knees in front of him, still dry heaving uncontrollably. Miggy laughed louder when she started to sob. My job is done here. He shot up, black and blood trailing behind him. Cat and Ken turned onto Main Street. They walked side by side because he would not let her get ahead of him. Give me some room, please, she thought. They saw the body in front of the salon at the same time. Ken took off in a full run. Cat froze in place for a moment, shook herself, and ran after him. Ken dropped to his knees and checked Cassandra's neck for a pulse. Cat, breathing hard, caught up. She inhaled. The stench caught in her throat. She turned and dry heaved. Ken reached into his pocket and brought out a small, round travel jar. Put some of this under your nose. For the first time, Kat could remember she did as she was told, then looked at the jar. Cold salve, she said. Huh, I've never felt as grateful for this petroleum-based mentholated ointment as I do now. The smell was still somewhat there, but the menthol overpowered it. She handed the jar back to Ken, thanks. He took the jar and smiled up at her. Kat caught her breath. She could bask in its warmth for the rest of her life. She's alive, Ken said. Sure threw up a lot, though. He waved the mentholatum under the woman's nose to try and bring her back. No smelling salts. This will do in a pinch. He shook Cassandra. Her eyes opened and she screamed. Ken took hold of both of her shoulders and squeezed. You're safe. You're safe. He cooed as to a small child. 
Cassandra's glazed eyes focused on the handsome, dark-haired stranger. She screamed louder. You're going to kill me. You're going to kill me. She struggled. Ken held Cassie steady to keep her from rolling in her own vomit. Cassie, stop, Cat yelled. Cassandra tilted her head backward, recognized Cat, and relaxed. What happened? Cat asked. Miggy. Cassandra trembled and began to sob. Yes, Miggy's dead, Cassie. No, he was here. He called my name. He looked so... She began to heave again at the memory. Ken, still holding Cassie's shoulders, watched as Cat fell to one knee and began smoothing Cassandra's hair. Shh, take a deep breath and tell me what happened. It was Miggy, Cat, came to see me. He looked horrible, but the voice was Miggy's. You know I know his voice, Cat. Cat nodded her head. They were an item, she whispered to Ken over Cassie's head. Cassandra turned into Cat's coat and wept. Ouch, Ken mouthed back. You believe me, don't you, Cat? Please tell me you believe me. Cassie's voice rose, afraid she was going crazy. Afraid Cat would think she was going crazy. I believe you believe it. I know how much you cared for him. Cat had no idea why Cassie chose to love Miggy, but then there were many mysteries in the world. Cassandra looked up at Cat, mascara streaming down her cheeks, mixing with her rose blush and ivory foundation. The combination looked like a bad watercolor. It's the truth, God's truth. Cassandra's voice trailed off. She stared into the darkness. We need to get her to a hospital, Ken said. Both Cat and Cassie whipped their heads to Ken, surprised. No, I'm fine. I just want to get home, take a hot bath, and forget this ever happened, if forgetting is even possible. I urge you to get a good once-over by a doctor, Ken answered. She says she's fine, Cat said. I believe her. Here, take her keys, go into her shop, and get her a glass of water. If she keeps it down, we'll call her roommate Caroline to come over and get her. If not, We'll call Dr. Billings and have him come look her over. Agreed? Knowing he was outnumbered and would just waste valuable time by arguing, he took the keys. When Cassandra kept the water down and sat up without assistance, Ken admitted she was okay. He handed Cat his phone. She looked at him as if he were from another planet when he held out the cell. Look around you. How hard is it to get a hold of somebody? Cat spread her arms wide and turned, first toward North Main, then South Main, to emphasize her point. I mean, how hard is it? Ken pointed to the phone. Cat dialed. Caroline arrived 10 minutes later. I'd have been here sooner, but it took five minutes to find my sweats. Caroline guided Cassie to the car and whisked her away. I don't know what is going on here, but one thing I know for sure is Cassie would never let anyone see her unless she is coiffed and dressed to the nines. A hallucination, Ken said, not as convincing as he would have liked. In the last 24 hours, he saw enough of the unexplainable to last him a lifetime. Still, hallucination was the most logical answer, or some horrible joke played on Cassie. Josiah passed the time by looking out the small jail window, pondering the smoky darkness gathering to the south. Old man, a voice, no, two blended voices came from within his cell. Josiah's spirit knew what he would see before he looked. In your name, Jesus, hide me in your righteousness. Let this evil have no power over me. You have allowed them to come here. Show me why. Josiah turned, the straightness of his body, the heat in his eyes belying his age and the heaviness he carried with him always. What are your names? In the name of Jesus, I command you answer. The twins thought Iconoclast to be their lone master. They were shocked when they had no choice but to answer this horrid little mortal. In life, we were called Joseph and Jonathan. Your last name in life, what was it? Josiah demanded. The twins hesitated but could not stop from answering. They felt their power draining as they answered him. Northan, they said in unison. 
their voices merging to make a putrid dripping sound. The sound reminded Josiah of blood being let from a carcass to prepare the meat for packaging. How did you meet the demise of your physical bodies, Joseph? Answer, he demanded. The twins' power lessened when not working and speaking together. Joseph felt the drain again. He felt pain. The light surrounding this puny man was blinding his already dead eyes. Iconoclast tricked us. Your own greed tricked you. Jonathan stayed silent, unable to talk until commanded to do so. Terror flooded his being, an emotion he never felt in life. Now the anguish he once inflicted on God's innocent creatures was tearing at his non-existent flesh. He could feel each one he killed, the most recent of which was the strongest. He experienced the suffering of the ravens as their internal organs melted and they bled to death. The pain was unbearable. He needed to run but could not. Jesus protect me, Josiah thought. Who is this iconoclast? Our commander, the one whose mission it is to destroy this insignificant, horrible little town and its inhabitants. That's who. Joseph regained strength when he remembered why he came here. Enough of you now, Joseph Northen. Speak, Jonathan. Tell me the names of Iconoclast and his underlings. Name all you know. Jonathan and Joseph were ordered not to divulge any names. He would be punished if Iconoclast discovered he told this human. Jonathan worked to hold his tongue to divest his thoughts of the names, but he could not. He blurted out, Atromantus, Gambogian, Caitiff, Venenos, Bruit, Trepanir, Prevaricator, and Profligacy. These are all I know, I swear. Swear not in front of me, be gone. Go back to your leader and tell him I am here. He knows me, I await the battle. The twins flew up through the jail cell and dropped like meteors into the ravine. Cat unlocked the door to the sheriff's office, the bell's tinny ring much louder in the silent, deserted place. Kin stepped through behind her. He caught his breath, then he covered his nose. Do you smell something? Cat tapped the side of her nose, reminding Kin of the menthol treatment minutes earlier. Not really. Lucky you, this place smells like rotting meat. Did someone forget to put out the garbage? It'll draw rats, you know. The garbage was emptied earlier, and the most recent sighting of a rat in Raven's Cove was yesterday. She turned innocent eyes upward to Kin. Even BC could only take a chunk out of it, it was so big. Ken glared down into those cat green eyes. He forced himself to turn away before he just grabbed this woman and kissed her again. Katrina Agnes Tovslowski. They heard her name being called from the back from the direction of the jail cell. Stop calling my full name. How do you know it anyway? Cat's voice trailed behind her as she headed for the cell. Almost no one knows my middle name, especially some stranger to Raven's Cove. Agnes? Cat scowled at Ken. If you ever say my middle name again, You'll wish BC had finished the job. She marched forward. I'll take my chances, Ken answered. Cat stopped in front of the bars, arms akimbo, turning an I can melt you by pure will alone look on Josiah. Josiah returned an open and fearless gaze. Even through the mentholatum, Cat now smelled the stench. It was emanating from the cell. She scrunched her nose, then relaxed it to try and hide the disgust. Josiah smiled. The smell is not me, Katrina. I had a visitor, well, two visitors this evening. They need to see Doc Billings, was all Cat could think of to answer. Wouldn't help, ma'am. They are far beyond any help mortals can offer. Ken walked up and stopped just behind Cat's left shoulder, so close she could feel the warmth of his body. Who are beyond help, Mr. Williams? Well, the names they gave me, at least their names in life, are Joseph and Jonathan Northen, twins, I believe. Jonathan and Joseph? How did they get in here? They are not our most model citizens. In fact, they are a violent couple of siblings. Are you hurt? They could not hurt me, but thank you for asking. Josiah's smile disappeared. They are dead. Almost the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Cat turned to Ken. 
I saw them walking by my grandma's house, heads together, conspiring something horrible, I'm sure, as we were going to get her for church. They are dead, I assure you. They were sent to threaten me, no doubt, by their leader, named Iconoclast. What did you say? Ken and Kat spoke at the same time. Iconoclast, do you know the name? Kat felt the hair rising on the back of her neck. Her grandmother just shared this name with Ken a few hours ago. Many knew the legend, but Grandma held the name close, as did her mother and grandmother before her. The unease in Kat's stomach grew. Iconoclast, the demon sent to destroy this town and everyone who resides in it. Anyway, you will find their bodies at the top of Raven's Ravine, just as you did the others. Go see for yourself, but make sure the sheriff is with you, along with another member of the town. I suggest Pastor Lucas. The evil is growing. It's gained immense strength, and it is emanating from the ravine. I can't take a pastor to a crime scene. Suit yourself, but you'd be far better off with him than without him. Come back to see me when you're finished. I'll still be here. Josiah laughed at his own joke. I will, Ken answered. He wrenched his cell phone from his pocket and hit speed dial where he entered Bart's number earlier in the day. William says there are more bodies, something about being visited by ghost twins. Where are you? And how did you talk to Williams? Cat heard Williams and Howe and covered the phone. He's going to be really ticked I let you in the office without his knowledge, she whispered to Ken. What do you want me to do? Ken mouthed back. Cat took the phone. Hey Bart, funny thing about this Williams. Bart, he knew the name of the thing only Grandma knows. Okay. Still didn't answer my question. Cat hurried on, and he told us the Northern twins are dead. Said they visited him tonight. She rolled her eyes at Ken and circled her ear with her index finger several times. Crazy, she mouthed again. I told him I saw them this afternoon, but he insisted they are dead, lying at the top of the ravine just like the other two victims. This had not better be one of your infamous jokes, Cat. I would never joke about a suspected murder or anything else so horrible. Right, well, I'm warning you just in case. I'll meet you at the office. If this is true, Bart thought, the man must have an accomplice. It would have been easy enough to get the info to Williams via the glass and barred window above the cell. A written note would have done the trick. But how could he have known the twins' names? No one in Raven's Cove carried much ID. Why bother? No one drove much. Everyone knew everyone, and everyone pretty much paid cash except the tourists. I don't know how, but I'm going to find out, Bart said. He caught hold of his gun belt, cinching it in place. He grabbed his weapon, holstered it, and headed for the door. What met Bart stopped him in his tracks. Bart's ruddy complexion drained to a pale white. Sheriff? A toothless chasm of a mouth gurgled his name. Richard Pantino bowed. I see you remember me good. Just want to say thanks for nothing. I made this town home. It was your job to protect my family. Where were you when my wife and small children were tortured then murdered? Where? The guilt and shame of failing to rescue Dana Pantino and her children, the subsequent suicide of Richard Pantino, and his inability to protect the current residents of Raven's Cove poured in on Bart. Guilt and despair boiled to the surface. You're a loser, always been a loser, always will be a loser, Bartholomew Anderson. And loser, the ghost held up dripping, decaying fingers in an L. Your town is ours, and you can't do anything to stop it. Back off, loser, or you'll wish you were dead before you ever meet your new boss. Pantino struck like a rattlesnake and bit Bart's arm with his demon teeth. A black mist materialized beside Pantino. It twisted into a thin rope and dove into Bart's arm. Bart's mouth opened wide in a silent, terrified scream. He couldn't move or speak. The ghoul launched through the roof, going for his next victim. Bart found the presence of mind to slam the door. He slid down behind it, legs unable to hold him. 
The horror of finding the Pantino children flooded Bart. The small mutilated corpses. The oozing wounds on Dana Pantino's corpse. Her severed head. He hid his eyes behind the palms of his hand and sobbed. I am a loser. The biggest of them all. Bart began fingering his gun. He snapped it free from the holster, playing with the hilt. It was comforting. He pulled the gun from the holster and stared down the barrel. If you enjoyed this podcast, I encourage you to share it with others you think would also be interested. If you'd like to know more about me, go to maryannpoll.com and or authormasterminds.com forward slash m-a-r-y-dash-a-n-n-dash-p-o-l-l. Until next time, may the wind always be at your back, the sun on your face, and the good Lord walk beside you.